What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 27 of the Promptly Written Podcast, where every month we take a writing prompt provided by you, write stories based on it, and then break them down for you. My name's Matt Chigarek, and with me, as always, Ian Lewis. What's up, Ian? Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, you know, it's been a it's been a weird month for me, and I don't really know why. I've been having like a little bit of like anxiety lately, and I can't really pinpoint the cause of it. But I don't know. It's just it's a weird time for Is it everything and everybody. <laughs> and I don't know if the years just maybe like catching up with me or whatever. But like I felt like um, I felt like August. Like when we talked at the at the end of August, I felt like August was like a pretty productive month for me. And like September just took a shit again. So I don't know. It, it must. I'm. I think I'm just gonna chalk it up to it being 2020, and and that's it. How things out your way? Uh, you know, it's laying low basically. I I am excited that this is uh, episode one of the third season of the podcast. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Like we've done two full years. We're embarking on year three, and I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I I am impressed that we've been able to keep it going for a number of reasons. Um, you know, one just scheduling between two people and oh yeah i mean you know whatnot but just also being able to produce um i mean i never thought that i'd be able to write a a, like a brand new short story every month that's crazy i I know it's crazy like what started out is just like kind of an exercise to keep me writing it's something that uh you know like you said it's that's a lot like um i don't know putting down that couple thousand words and just coming up with a a new idea once a month i think i think it's a lot but i mean the same time i have fun doing it so i think i think that's why it's lasted because i'm having i think we're having fun and it oh, doesn't yeah. feel like we're working you know yeah yeah i agree yeah so um uh we have a bunch of like little mini topics to talk about today and then like one bigger one but before we like dive into everything i got a little bit of follow up because um friend of the show utah just uh popped up in my facebook messenger one day and he was like, hey, man, I'm trying to send you something and I can't do it. So I gave him my email address and he sent it to me. I had no idea what he was going to send me. And what he sent me was this audio file that I'm going to play for you now and and we'll play for everybody. But um, when we were talking about your story last month called Bind and Build, mm-hmm. we were talking how like uh, I think you said that you just envisioned, you know, uh, like a British narration. Like in like a just a yeah because classic... it had like a, a a you know like a uh, National Geographic kind of Animal Planet type of thing where you know in a hushed tone you've got a British narration over like you know the lions attacking the gazelles or something yeah and uh, uh, Utah himself is uh, quite the thespian and he <laughs> oh, busted out his um his uh, best British accent and recorded a little snippet for us so I'm gonna play it for you right now. That's awesome. It's under a cloudy brush of swirling pink and purple atmosphere that the Tast grows. As an organism, the Tast is as complex as it is visually simple. Scaling across the rock-peppered surface of the planet in a crystalline pattern, it branches unseen beneath the hardened crust of tundra and into the dark, damp effluvia of its capillaries as it seeks out not only space, but nourishment. That is awesome. Right? Like that 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 he nailed it. Like that is exactly what I envisioned. I I knew you were going to love it. I was so happy when I opened oh, it man. and I like literally held it back the whole time cuz I like wanted to get 
your natural reaction on the podcast, but I was so excited because just like out of the that, blue. That's fantastic. Here's an audio file. So I just want to publicly thank Utah for sending that in. That was fantastic. That was great. Thank you. Um, you know, we we just kind of talked that we were starting our third season, our third year here at, at Promptly Written. And um, you put this in the show notes. You thought that maybe we could just kind of highlight a couple of our favorite stories from year two. So um, I don't know. What do you got? What were your favorites that you did uh, this yeah, year? Yeah, so I really liked episode 17. The prompt was New Beginnings. Uh-huh. And my story was titled The Mouse King. And um, I remember it threw you for a loop because you thought I was making some uh, veiled like political statement when I was really just, you know, trashing uh, the new Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. It was, it was, it was you... Um, you always like kind of catch me where I sit here and I really try to read into shit. And sometimes I read way too far, and uh, that was definitely one of those cases. Because I'm, I, was, I remember just kind of talking it through, and you're like, "No, no, no, Mickey Mouse! <laughs> like Disney ruined Star Wars." And I'm like, "Oh, right, <laughs> yeah, I really like that one, but because it was it was filled with so much vitriol when I wrote it." So yeah, I um I actually put my story for episode 17 as well. It was called The Bridge, where I brought two characters back that I had created in season one. And oh, yeah. um, I kind of built their world up a little more. So I don't know. That was the first. I think that was the first time other than our, our back and forth with our Nails trilogy or not trilogy, but our Nails saga. Right. But I don't know. For whatever reason, that one stuck out to me because it's um, I don't know. It's a world that I wanted to return to. And I, I got to tell you, I I think they might be coming back sometime soon. I don't have anything planned, but that's a world I want to dive back into. So if the prompt, you know puts it out there that might might come soon uh what else you got cool i also liked episode 22 the prompt was hidden in plain sight and the title of my story was the truth might be out there mm-hmm. and it was the whole conspiracy theory thing which yes. was yes. so much fun to research and so much fun to write i yeah, think it just yeah. it, it just flowed really well yeah, that was that was that was a fun one. Um, I think if I want if I uh, if I remember correctly, I probably tried to read a little too much into that one too. When really uh, you were just kind of I don't recall. I don't, I don't remember. remember, but um, it was a fun story though. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. So I actually um, couldn't narrow it down to two. I have I have two more, and I'll just talk about them real quick. One, um, the other two, um, it was episode fourteen, and it was the uh, the nine inch nails, kind of like a cloud. I was way way up in the sky. Mm-hmm. And I did a story called LF52179, and it was like my first like non, well, it was really like my first like kind of adventure into sci-fi. And yeah. I thought it, I thought it went well. I thought there was, um, it was a good story. I liked it. Yeah. I thought there was enough sci-fi to be there, but I also think that the character was compelling and I was kind of proud of that one. And then, yeah. um, I also liked episode 19, and I don't have the prompt written down for episode 19 right now, but my story was called Table for One, and um, that was when I was, I I made an effort there to um, really not use dialogue as a crutch and really kind of maintain an internal monologue, and I was pretty mm-hmm. happy with it came out. Plus, there was a lot of nostalgia for the restaurant that I set it in because it's like my yep. favorite restaurant I've ever been to, so that that was kind of fun too. Yeah, I remember I remember that story caught me off guard. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the ending I uh yeah. 
I was pretty proud of that ending because I, I feel like ending. I was leading, just leading go back it and, listen to it and just kind of twisted it at the end. And then, I mean, just collectively, like nails. That whole thing, that whole back and forth, and I think it's my turn. Yeah, I believe the ball's in your court. The ball is right in now. my court, and um, we'll, we might talk about that a little bit later. But um, I know where I'm going to do it, and I know what I'm going to do. I just need the prompt to get me there uh, so it doesn't sound forced. But uh, it's coming. Don't worry. Cool. Also, I just want to let everybody know that we're working on volume two of the book, so you can read all these stories over and over again and commit them to memory. But I am slowing that process down like crazy by not getting Ian my my finalized manuscript. So it's my fault. If you're, you know, just like itching to read that book, my fault. We'll get it there. Yeah, I'm, I promise. Uh, I'm ready for for everything else. So I'm 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 caught up. Good deal. Just need your 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 copies. And then I've talked to a couple of people about um, blurbs for the back of the book. So if you're listening right now, I'm going to need those blurbs. So just. Uh, Mm, how do I want to say this? Never mind. Fuck it. Anyways. God, you know, I had some computer problems before before this show started, and I am really flustered right now, and it's pissing me off. So <laughs> hopefully, like, I can calm down here. So um, you put in here that uh, you read a book uh, since the last time we talked, and you wanted to give it a quick little review. So why don't you you tell us about that, and I'm going to try to get myself together here. Yeah, I thought it'd be fun to do like a little book report kind of thing or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and the reason, it, there's a reason too why I kind of wanted to bring it up because um, it, it has to do with writing. But uh, the book is Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. And it is a Western and it has been referred to as the quintessential American novel. Um, really? Yeah, or, or a quintessential American novel. Okay. Um, it's... It's uh, if you've never read Cormac McCarthy before, and and I had not read him in some while, and I kind of forgot what his style was like. Mm-hmm. He can be a little infuriating because he doesn't use uh, quotation marks for speech. What does he do? Nothing. It's just all part of the narrative. It, it's what it's bo- it's borderline stream of consciousness, but not quite stream of consciousness. It's it's still somewhat readable from like a, a scene setting perspective, but. Um, he, he, he's, he's extremely sparse with his use of, um, punctuation. So where you might expect to see a lot of commas or semicolons, those types of things just aren't there. So you're telling me that this guy just writes a bunch of run on sentences with no quotation marks around his dialogue. Okay. So (laughs) run on sentences is another thing that he does sometimes. So here's, so there's the, the biggest, the biggest peeve for me, um, is, the lack of quotation marks because I really want the speech and the dialogue set off separate. Um, and I have a, I have a big peeve with like POV shifts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it, it, at first it's hard to grasp who's talking and what character's doing what. I would say a chapter or two in, you get used to it. And the, my, those gripes are worth putting up with in, in the sense that he writes extremely evocative type things not so much in um it's not so much poetic but just the way he provides like a word picture of things is is pretty pretty intense and the one thing he does with the sometimes he'll it's almost like you're you're in the scene and you're experiencing everything all at once and he does like these little short stints of run-ons here and there throughout the book these run-on sentences where it's just like you're getting all these details and it it it, it kind of works as an effect on the mm. reader. 
And I'll shift back to the writing style in a minute, but I wanted to say as a, as a, as a whole, the book was very bleak um, because it's, it, it's, it's like a Western really gritty about these sort of like quasi outlaws who are scalp hunters basically. And they do these terrible things. And um, this kid kind of falls in with them and is sort of like hires on with them and, and participates in all these atrocities and, you know, it, it, the, there's very little, if any, redeeming qualities in these characters, and so it, it's hard to kind of like root for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of follow this progression of this this group and what they do, and sort of their as they fall apart and and, and that kind of thing. Um, so, it, like I said, very bleak. But but his writing style, um, in just the way it's written, really invigorated me as a writer recently because I had just started. Um, while I was reading this, I started to write the second Reeve book. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. really was like a kick in the pants to like kind of, you know, just write at a higher level in a sense. Um, sure. So sure. much so that I am considering very strongly going back and rewriting portions of the first book. Really? Yes, which I've never done before. And I hate to even consider it for a number of reasons, but. Part of my, when I look back at that book, there's two things that need fixed, I think. I had a cadence problem where I had like a, a repetitious sort of pattern with some of the things that I did that sort of irked me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why I didn't notice it in in my editing. But at any rate, I'd like to fix that. But like I, I was so fixated on my vision of what this world looked like that I really struggled when I wrote the book to bring that to life on the page and I felt like I never did it justice. Okay. I think part of it was because I was I was trying too hard to replicate exactly what I saw in my mind rather than give the reader sort of, you know, enough information for them to form their, their own picture in right, their heads. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. That's I mean And it's just I want to go back and maybe, you know, the story's not changing. I'm happy with the story. In in largely it I think it at the end will be unchanged, but there's certain passages that I just I feel like need some some work. So is this something that you would do before writing the second one? Or would um, you continue the second one and then go back and do this after the fact? So I've got a week off this month from work and my you know, I've got all kinds of house stuff that I gotta get done, but mm-hmm. my thought was I would take some time that week and, and take a stab at it and see what kind of effort I think it's gonna take to to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I don't want to really lose steam on the new book. Cause I, I was going at a pretty good clip until actually last night I'd sat down and it was like eight something o'clock and I'm like, okay, I've got like a good chunk of time here to really knock some, some writing out. And like, I sat there for almost an hour and 15 minutes and had just written one line. I could not, I could not get going. And yeah, so, you know, those days I'm like on like chapter sure. six. Yeah. I'm on chapter six and I, I got, I had a pretty good clip and now I'm kind of like, you know, maybe hitting writer's block, but we'll see. But at any rate, yeah, it was, it was worth reading. It's very bleak, but it's just like the way he writes, it's, it's really, it, it kind of makes you want to write better in a sense. Well, that's minus all the rules that he breaks. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's kind of good. We're going to tie. I'm, I, well, I'm going to talk about Stephen King a little bit later. And um, he, um he had a quote, I don't have the quote right in front of me right now, but it's like, he, he essentially says, if you want to be a writer, you need to do two things. You need to write a lot and you need to read a lot. And yep. like, there was a lot, I can definitely relate to reading something that makes you want to write better. 
there's been a couple of books this year that while I was reading them, I was like, I'm just like taking notes. I'm like, I love how they did that. I love how they approached that. And hopefully as I'm writing, those things are sticking with me and I'm, and I'm getting better. Um, not to go back to what we were talking about before, but I just kind of went to Amazon and pulled up this book and I did the little look inside so I could see a couple, um, just some of the pages so I could kind of get a feel for what you were talking about. Yeah. And so I'm on page six of this book right now and I'm just going to read this and I'm actually going to put the, I'm going to read the punctuation as well because this, I don't know if I could read this book. It's he said this verbatim. It says, I said to him, comma said, colon, you go in to take the son of God in there with ye. And he said, colon, Oh no, no, I ain't. And I said, colon, don't you know that he said, I will follow ye always, even until the end of the road. Like what? Just put quotes in there. Like I can appreciate somebody like trying to do something unique or whatever, but this is nonsense. Like this is just nonsense. I don't want to see I said colon. It just keeps going like that. I mean, does so, it do that the whole damn book? I I will I will say the the first chapter was hard to get into because just the way he in, introduces it. But let me read you, let me read you one of these run on sentences that 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 really gives you sort of this feel for what's happening. All right, I'm ready. A legion of horribles, hundreds in number, half naked or clad in costumes, attic or biblical, or wardrobed out of a fevered dream with the skins of animals and silk finery, and pieces of uniform still tracked with the blood of prior owners, coats of slain dragoons, frogged and braided cavalry jackets, one in a stovepipe hat and one with an umbrella, and one in white stockings and a bloodstained wedding veil, and some in hedgegear, I'm sorry, headgear, or crane feathers or rawhide helmets that bore the horns of bull or buffalo, and one in a pigeon-tailed coat worn backwards and otherwise naked, and one in the armor of a Spanish conquistador, the breastplate in pauldrons deeply dented with old blows of mace or saber done, in another country by men whose very bones were dust, and many with their braids spliced up with the hair of other beasts until they trailed upon the ground and their horses' ears and tails worked with bits of brightly colored cloth, and one whose horse's whole head was painted crimson red, and all the horsemen's faces gaudy and grotesque, with daubings like a company of mounted clowns, death hilarious, all howling in a barbarous tongue and riding down upon them like a horde from a hell more horrible yet than the brimstone land of Christian reckoning, screeching and yammering and clothed in smoke like those vaporous beings in regions beyond right, knowing where the eye wanders and the lip jerks and drools. That's all one sentence. That was all one sentence. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going like to say. Like that paints a picture. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm going to go do all these run-on sentences, but like just the uh, the evocative imagery of it, just like wow, like yeah, it does. But at the same time, like uh, I don't have it in front of me, so it's it's one thing to hear hear a sentence like that, and one thing to read a sentence like that. But like, sure, I'm going to copy and put it in the in the show notes just for kicks. Okay, so I feel like as I've gotten older, I'm reading slower these days. Like I feel like I used to literally like tear through books, and um. I'm reading much slower these days. Oh my God, that's all one sentence. You just pasted it in and you just like everybody just got my actual reaction. Like that, <laughs> that's can, like if I go to Google Chrome and just highlight it, does it tell me how many words it is? Google Docs. You said Google Chrome. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not giving me a word count, but that's fine. That's a lot of words. Um, I feel like even reading this, like I'm going to start and stop like over and over again. Just it would take me forever to get through this book, I think. Like you get I, I think some people have that problem, but like I feel like once you start getting into it, you just get used to a style and like 
you kind of like fall into this, like I said, semi stream of consciousness type of feel where you're like, you're just, you're almost there and you're just seeing everything and you're, you're not really reading anymore. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. Do you recommend this book? Yes and no. Like, I don't recommend it in the sense that I'm like, oh, this was an amazing book in the sense that I, I enjoyed the story so much. Cause like I said, it's super bleak and there's not much redeeming about the characters. Yeah. However, from a, from an experience perspective and what he's able to do with the written word, I, I do recommend it. So it, okay. it depends on what you're looking for. Okay. All right. Um, so you cool? Yeah. All right. That's good. So I got, I have a book that I'm not really reviewing it because I'm still in the middle of reading it, but I want to recommend it just because it's, it's something very unique that I just kind of happened across. So I follow this Instagram account called um, Typewriter Revolution. And like my mom bought me a, a, an old uh, Royal Typewriter as my graduation gift when I when I finished the, the MFA. Nice. And I, I need to like clean it up and restore it. And like this guy just posts beautiful photos of these old vintage typewriters. And it's, it's just so I was just looking at that. And then he posted one day. Um, this book called Backspaces, type, Typewritten Tales of Time Travel. And he was one of the guys that, that helped put it together. And essentially, this is the third in a series that I just discovered. I just picked up this one. Um, and what, what it is is he, every, every book in this series has a theme. And this one was time travel. So um, the only rules were... Time travel needs to be involved, and a typewriter needs to be involved. So there's all these stories that are written about time travel with typewriters, but the the kicker is they were required to submit their drafts typewritten for the final <laughs> book. And instead of like digitizing them and putting them in the book, they're all images of the type pages. So every story has a unique like typeset and character. It's pretty cool. It's really cool. You can only get it in paperback. And so I'm just flipping through it. And then at the end of every story, it tells you what kind of typewriter it was typed on. And it was just really cool. Like I'm going through the stories. I haven't read a bad story yet. Um, I actually was inspired. I have, I have a great idea for a typewriter story now. So, nice. you know, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. You know, if they're looking for submissions for their, their fourth one, maybe I'll throw throw something out there. I don't know. But I was just, you know, in... I'm the first to admit, like, I'm I'm an ebook reader most of the time these days. Like, it's easier for me. I have it everywhere. It syncs up. It syncs up with Audible. Like, it's so convenient to have all of these books in this tiny little device that I can carry around in my back pocket. Sure. Uh, I had to buy this paperback, and it was. It's just like it feels so analog. And then when you see all of these old typewriter typesets going through it, I don't know. There's something just really cool about this book. So I'll throw the link in the show notes. It's like seven bucks. I'm going to, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to recommend it just because it's just, I don't know. I think it's, it's very unique in. It's a cool idea. Yeah. For it's, sure. it's super cool. And I've got a soft spot for analog. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's really cool. It's actually making me want to uh, do a little research and clean up that typewriter and see if, you know, who knows, maybe one of these stories, I'll have some typewritten images for you. One of these wow. months. It's it, it's it, is it a step beyond handwritten? Maybe I mean. Well, I I don't know because um, I don't I don't know. 
it's interesting. It's it's definitely different. I would probably just type up the final draft. I probably wouldn't write just for, you know, I mean, the, the typewriter that I have, I think I've dated somewhere in the 40s. So it's not like there's backspacing and, you know, everything. It's just, I think um, the way that I write, I wouldn't want to have to pull out a page and then like go through and scratch stuff out and I don't know. I would probably reserve the typewriter for typing up a final draft just for kicks. Got it. Yeah. Um, okay. Next, I just want to talk real quick because like October is kind of a big time in the online creative community. And I wanted to call out two events. Um, I'm not necessarily participating in, in both or either of them. I just wanted to throw them out there because I think they're interesting. So the first one is it's inked, it's Inktober. And you can follow Inktober on Twitter. And what it is, is it's a drawing prompt. So I think today, um, if you go to the the Inktober thing on Twitter, there's a picture of all the prompts for the month. And essentially, you're supposed to do a sketch every day. And then you can post them on Instagram and people share them. And it's it's kind of a cool thing. I've been following it the past couple of years. I tried to do it like a year or two ago and gave up after like day five because I'm not really an artist. And it was way more stress than I, than I wanted to deal with. But if you can draw or doodle um it's great like today's prompt was fish so there's a bunch of people like if you go out on instagram or twitter you're gonna see all their little fish doodles um so it's kind of a cool little thing um a new one at least new to me for this year is called Promptober, and i follow ink journal on twitter because i they they started out selling fountain pen ink samples like kits they would curate um samples and then send them out and they would surprise you with what you got you never know what you were gonna got I did them for a few months and then I just kind of stopped because once you have so many ink samples, um, it can be a real hassle. I actually have like a little, <laughs> I have a little test tube trays that hold my ink samples. It's kind of funny. I'm sure you do. <laughs> but they started something this year called Promptober and they put it out there and it was like writing prompts um, every day this month. And I thought, originally I thought it was going to be like creative writing prompts, but it might be more like journaling prompts because today's prompt was something like, what is a side of you that that people other people rarely see or something like that so i just wanted to throw it out there i i doubt i'll do it i might if i'm I'm gonna keep my eye on them and if something sparks an interest i'll definitely write down the little story but if anybody out there is like been looking into getting into journaling or just writing daily this might be a good way to do it because it, it seems like it's a simple question you could probably knock it out in a paragraph or two and it might help develop a habit so i just wanted to call that out cool Okay. Uh, one, I think this is a smaller topic than the, than the one you prompted, but I just wanted to put this out there because I thought it was a real interesting idea. I was listening to an episode of the Writer's Routine podcast, which I wholly recommend. Um, it's uh, this British guy. His name's Dan something. I feel terrible that I don't remember his last name, but his, his name's Dan. And he just interviews all these writers. Most, most of the time, they're British writers. He's gotten some bigger names on there. But he just kind of talks through their process, and I, I find it real interesting and sometimes inspiring to to hear how people, uh, some of these people are full-time writers, some of them are part-time writers, but how they work writing into their day. So I really recommend the podcast. But anyways, he was interviewing a writer named Erin Kinsley, and she, I was immediately drawn because she writes in fountain pen. So <laughs> I, was, I was paying extra attention, right? And um, she does this thing where, you know... I, I would say in most modern novels, definitely Ian in your novels, um, you're you're going to end up writing from the perspective of multiple characters, right? 
like um usually let's let's use like your um every time i want to bring up this damn book i forget the name of it um godspeed carry my bullet oh okay right yeah yeah okay so how many there was like what maybe five main characters is that correct Ooh, there might have been seven okay so let's say seven so what she does to keep everything straight is when she's writing from a certain character's perspective she will use a different color of ink for each thing that way she can kind of just kind of like flip through her notebook and get an idea of how everything is balancing out so if like you had one character that was in black ink and one character that was in blue ink and you're flipping through the pages and there's a whole lot of black and a little bit of blue maybe you need to either decide whether or not you need to be writing from that second character's perspective or maybe you should put a little more in there and it was just a way for her to visually kind of see the balance of her book like as it develops so I thought that was interesting because I, my notebook, it's organized, but like it's organized in a bullet journal method. So like if I'm writing something and then I have an idea for something else, I'll go to the next page and start writing on that. And then I have like a little index where I'll go note it. And then it, if I got to continue something, I'll jot it. So it's like you can figure it out. But I was like, man, maybe for something I should really pick like an ink color and stick to it. So that way I'm flipping through the book. And then when I see that color of ink, I know that that's where I want to be. So I just thought that was interesting. And I think this is something that could be done even without pens. Like you can change the the text color on Google Docs or Word or whatever. And I, I just thought it was an interesting idea and wanted to put it out there, see what you thought about it. Because I, I don't know, I just thought it was interesting. Like you, you could scroll through your document and be like, man, there's a lot of black and not a whole lot of navy blue. Um, or vice versa, you know what I mean? What do you what do you think about this idea? I can see it being a useful tool if if your goal was having you know equal screen time, so to speak, for your characters. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I've ever approached any of my stories in that way where that was a concern. Okay. I always okay. have an overriding or overarching purpose for the character, and the only. W- the only time I would ever run into a concern of not having them on the page enough would be if I felt that the character was underdeveloped. But if it was just a scenario where like, oh, they don't have a lot to do, but that's fine because that's the intent, then I, I don't think it would bother me. But I can see how it could be helpful. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. And it seemed to keep her kind of just on top of things. So... That I just that that's I don't really well, don't have you, anything else. You've to got say about all that. those ink samples, so huh? you might as well use them. You've got all those ink samples. Well, yeah, but it, I mean, here's here's the thing: like fountain pen use, there's a lot of maintenance. Like you can't just like finish like right <laughs> swap your, them out. Yeah, you can't just like um like finish out blue and then just fill it right up with red because then there's still a little bit of a red in the feed and in the nib unit. And when you go to fill it up, you would be squirting some of that leftover red into the blue and that would just be a nightmare plus the the chemical compositions of all these inks and everything like some of them can interact with each other and then they clog and stuff like that so you really you got to clean it out like it's a process like you have to be committed if you want to do this on a regular basis especially if you're changing colors you just buy more pens well i mean the pens are expensive I know, but you love pens. I'm giving you an excuse to buy Yeah, I mean, pens. but here's the thing. I have a lot of pens, and, like, I feel like I've almost got everything in what I would consider, like, the moderate range. 
So like you might think it's ridiculous, but there's very few pens in like the fifty to hundred dollar range that interest me anymore. Like I feel like yeah, I get it. I've got everything I have. So now, you know, the ne- there's a couple of pens in the two to two to three hundred dollar range that I would love to try, <laughs> but it's like I haven't quite made that jump to spending that much yet. Because then it just gets worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you, 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 we could relate it to watches. You know, you uh, yeah, have your, your your crappy little Walmart watch and it tells you the time. But then once you've had a nice watch, you don't want to use the cheaper one anymore because you've experienced the nicer thing. That's true. So I, I kind of almost don't even want to buy the more expensive pens because then I'm afraid it's going to make me not want to use my cheaper ones. Yeah, I get that. But th- there's also some something to be said for uh, the law of diminishing returns. At some point, you know, you're going to find that sweet spot of, okay, like... Any more money I'm going to spend, like the uh, the appreciable quality is, is can be so negligible that it's it's just not worth it. Well, yeah, and well, I mean, honestly, once you pass up, okay, so like I would say from zero to a hundred dollars, you're working with like steel nibs, and then once you start going from one to three hundred, you start getting gold nibs, and they they write differently because it's like a softer metal, and there's different hard, like there's eighteen carat, fourteen carat, twenty carat nibs and they all they're all going to write a little bit different but once you pass up three hundred dollars i would say in the pen world um it's more art and style it's more about the process like some of these things are hand turned and hand layered and and stuff like that and you're really paying for the art and you're really i don't think you're going to get much more like feel or like i don't know if the writing process is going to be better it's just you're going to have a fancier looking thing in your hand that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, anyways, um, that's all I had to say about writing in color. I just wanted to kind of to to get your thoughts. So you put this last one in there. So why don't you introduce it, and then uh, I think this is our our big topic for today. Yeah, I just uh, the question of you know whether you should use adverbs or not. Um, historically, I'd always I'd always avoided them because I was told that um, they're sort of like a no no, like you should never use them. And there's a good reason for that in a sense because a lot of times people will use an adverb in a place where they should otherwise use more descriptive language or some body language and things like that. Um, It's sort of a shortcut or a cheap way to do things, but there are legitimate uses for, I think, an adverb, you know, in in sparing sparing use. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have some pretty um, strong feelings about this. So I don't know. Just let me know when you're ready to hear them, and then I'll just start going and Go just, just me, kind of interrupt. Let's me. hear it. So, you know, I would say that, like you said, you're kind of told that it's it's kind of like you're not supposed to use them. And if there's anything I learned through going through the the whole like writing school kind of thing, it's they teach you the rules, and then you go out and break the rules. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's like one of those For things sure. where it's like. Stephen King in On Writing. Have you ever read On Writing? I have not. You should read On Writing. It's a short book. It's, See? It's great. I, I, I go back to Mr. Mar- Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. He says, no learn karate from book. Well, see... And I kind of feel the same way about writing. You don't learn how to write by reading about how to write. You don't, but this this isn't like... Stephen King did not write a book... That is step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this, now you have a bestseller. 
on writing is like literally his philosophy on writing. He's not teaching you how to write. He's talking about writing. Like it's it's literally just Stephen King talking about writing and how he approaches his writing. So this isn't like like a a writing fiction for dummies kind of thing where like you want to sure. knock out your novel. This is like whether you are a fan of his fiction or not, he is one of the most prolific authors that probably will ever live. Like the man has sold millions upon millions of books and it's it's interesting to get into his head. But he's very strongly opinion about adverbs. So he he says <laughs> his first quote is in how he approaches like how he gets into it in the book is he literally says the adverb is not your friend. And then he he gives a couple examples about how like I think the example was something along the lines of you could write you close the door firmly. Okay? So the firmly is there and you're kind of getting a, a a sense of how the door was closed, but you could also say you slammed the door. You know what I mean? And that first of all gets rid of the adverb and secondly gives you a very specific action that was done because mm-hmm. slamming is a very specific way to close a door. Right? So sure. he he said this made me laugh when I read it again last night. He says that the road to hell is paved in adverbs and he'll shout <laughs> it from the rooftops. So I don't necessarily agree with that. So here's here's my approach to adverbs. In my first draft, when I'm just writing down the story for the first time, I let the adverbs fly. I really do. Like if they're there, they just come out. The the thing is, is I'm, a, I'm always aware of them. Like when I write it, I know, and I will actually underline it. Sometimes if, if I'm in a really good flow, I'll just underline it in the same color that I'm writing with. Sometimes I'll grab another pen and underline it in a different color so it sticks out. Because when I go back through, I figure out a better way to say those things. Unless I feel like I'm... Um, unless I feel like changing the wording is going to be detrimental to the pace, because ultimately, my goal is readability. I don't use big words for the sake of using big words. I want people to just like comprehend and move on. You know what I mean? So if I feel like the adverb is the best way to say something, I'm going to leave it there. But I'm only going to leave it there after I make a conscious decision to leave it there. I'm not just going to spew it out and then just let it sit there because that's what came out first. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a good rule. So there's there's two other instances where I actually just leave them in. And those are in dialogue or or if they're in... um, like a monologue kind of thing, like an internal thoughts, because as, as much as all these writers who hate adverbs um, would hate to admit, like people speak with adverbs and people think with yeah. adverbs. And if I'm doing that, then I'm going to do that, you know? So oh, yeah. that's kind of my take on All the rules on the go adverbs. out the window when you're, when you're talking dialogue or internal monologue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that seems reasonable. So... That's kind of what I did. He, he, you know, I just I want to mention one other thing he said because I just think it's it's interesting. He says that, you know, it's very much a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing because he, you know, says I've left. A, there's a lot of adverbs in my books, and he says when he does it, it's usually for the same reason any writer does it because he's afraid the reader won't understand me if I don't. He's convinced that the fear is at the root of most bad writing, and then he kind of goes on to talk about how he feels about good writing and bad writing. But I I think as long as you're making an informed decision 
to keep that word in your work, I think it's fine. I think you just need to own it. And you shouldn't, I don't, I don't think you should leave them in there just for the sake of leaving them in there because of the first words that came out of your mouth, because too many of them, I mean, I see them. Are you drawn to them when you see them, when you're reading? If they're overused, yes. Right. So it's just, that's why I think like, be aware that they're there. And if you're going to leave it there, make sure it's because that's, make sure it's because that's, that's the way you want to say something. I would say nine times out of 10, there's probably a better way to say it. But um, I mean, we're going to get to my story and I'm sure there's a number of adverbs in there. Um, But I I chose for them to be there. Fair enough. Yeah. Do you have any like, um, I don't know, like, do do you call them out when you're writing? Like if you, if you, if you're, because I mean, I I I think our writing processes are, are somewhat different because you're typing everything. So when you see it there, do you sit there for a second and say, is there a better way to say this? Or do you do that through the editing process? Um, generally, if I'm in the zone and I'm kind of flowing, I know, I know what I want to say. Um, or maybe I should say, I know how I want to say something, mm-hmm. even if I don't have the words for it at that moment. Um, so... I don't think there's scenarios where I would consciously substitute an adverb for something else and then come back to it later. Like I would write um, the closest I could get to whatever phrase I was trying to get at. Mm -hmm. And then if needed, come back to that phrase. I would never put an adverb in there Gotcha. Temporarily. Like if I'm going to put the adverb in there, it's staying. Gotcha. Do you like, um, do you bold it or highlight anything as you're writing? No, to I don't do need, any need markup back? really. I don't do any markup generally in any of it. It looks the way it's going to be when I go to convert the file. I mean, okay. there's not nothing in there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So there you go. Is it story time? I think it's story time. Okay. Well, this month's prompt was, uh, you want to read it for us? Oh, yeah. If this was, um, well, that changes everything. Very, very, uh, very generic, very open. Just one of those ones that I kind of put out there that, that people, people liked and, and voted for. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you could go anywhere with it. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was definitely kind of wide open. So I'm looking at your title in the document here, and I'm pretty excited to hear what you, got, what you have to, to say. So I, I think we should just get down to it. Yeah, this is uh, Antiheroes 1.3. Woo! So this is story number four in this Antiheroes series. So did we get did we get two in the first year, one last year, and then I, another I think one so, now? Or? Yeah, I think that's I think yeah, I think it's how it worked out. Yeah. Um. So the idea is like if 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 we do this long enough and I can get these characters to where I want them to be in these little short stories, then. The plan would be, um, I have I have an idea, well, a rough idea for what would be like a novella with all of them together in the same little book, um, and that would be Antiheroes 2.0. Um, it would just, it just, we'll have to see if we get enough time for me to get them where I need them to be to get them to the point for this story that would be in the book. I'm committing to it right now. We'll do this podcast <laughs> for the next 25 years if it takes to get in a book like oh, this. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll see. But anyway, <laughs> it's Antiheroes 1.3. And I will say in advance that I'll do a little bit of a, not an accent, but just, you know, I'm going to read phonetically here for this particular character. All right. I'm back in the sandbox again. 
I did a couple tours that I don't care to remember. But that didn't keep me from coming back. Not the grit or heat or even knowing you can get killed at any time. It might be a roadside bomb. One of them IEDs. Or it might be like the time we were doing a night operation and heard the Blackhawks missile warning system going off. Just knowing someone on the ground has a lock on you is enough to turn your stomach inside out. That's part of the bargain, though. The chance you can get killed at any time. You sign up to be a government issue and don't think much past guts and glory. At least that's what I expect everyone else does. Me, I guess I was just looking to hide. Didn't know what someone like me was supposed to do with himself. I knew if I stayed with Daisy, I'd end up killing someone else on account of her. So I left her with a missionary family at a truck stop and just went. That was years ago. You might say that was an awful cold thing to do, but it'd be better for the both of us that way. I was thinking of the long game, even though she didn't see it at the time. I'd be a loose end for you that never gets tied up, I said right before I walked out. Didn't want to see her tears. Of course, I had every intention of looking in on her when I could. But I'd been playing soldier too long. So long I got turned upside down and around about why I was there to begin with. That's why I think Senator Hearns took a liking to me. He's got that kind of eye. The one that can spot talent and size a youth up for what he is. Running scared and nothing to tie him down and a certain type of skill that removes all manner of compunction to kill. I went along with his ideas as easy as pie since it kind of seemed like a promotion. I didn't have any predilection to climb the ranks and was happier being a specialist type of operator, so to speak. I used my power once and only once in the heat of a firefight, and word of that got back through a manner of clandestine channels to the right people, I guess you could say. Figured I was already on the short list for the black bag stuff, the kind that gets you a code name like Copperhead. But this sealed the deal. Or like the senator said to me, well, that changes everything. He had real specific interests over here in this part of the world. I didn't question it at first why he'd even bother to come all the way over to our tent city on a secret little trip, let alone oversee whatever subcommittee of a subcommittee he does. But I met him in a supply tent after dark. Of course, he stood out from all the other POGs with his dark suit and shiny black shoes, even more so than the Cav Scouts and their cowboy hats, but it didn't seem to bother him in the least. It was like the whole world belonged to him. Your target is Amadi, were his first words to me. I knew the name. Ace of spades and all that. High-profile target that's been stuck in America's craw for years. Oversees all the counterintelligence and terror networks worldwide for his organization. I didn't ask too many questions, just mainly listened. You're going in undercover. A deserter. A sympathizer, if you will, he said. You're going to offer intelligence. I knew it was risky. A thousand ways from Sunday for the whole thing to go wrong. It wasn't a question whether I wanted to do it or not. The senator pretty much made up my mind for me, leaning in with his saggy jowls and puffy bags under his eyes. He had this whole trust in Grandpa way about him, but something wily and slick behind all of it. Suppose that's just the way those politicians were. Pulling strings all over the world. I'm just the trigger man. One of a million trigger men just waiting to be pulled into service of someone's master plan. It didn't matter much to me what the plan was. I'm really only useful for one thing. That's what I keep reminding myself standing here in this alley that reeks like rotten onions and piss. I already made contact with Amadi's right-hand man a few days ago. 
work my way through some low-level scumbags to get at him. Now it's just time to make it happen. A few cars and buzzing moped ride past before a van skids to a halt and this gorilla of a guy leaps out, shoves a bag over my head, and tosses me into the back like nothing. Somebody binds my hands behind my back without asking permission. I can't see a thing and my nose is full of whatever musty potato sack they got on me and the smell of sweat and cigarettes and cheap cologne. It's a bumpy ride wherever we're headed. Whoever's at the wheel must think he's a NASCAR driver. I fight the urge to make a jump for it and slice my body right through the side of the van, but I got no idea where I'm at or what's outside or even what the road looks like. Just have to assume this is part of the plan. In another ten minutes, the van slows and stops, and then I'm getting pushed out with a pair of rough hands. A few more steps before somebody shoves me down into a hard chair. It's dank like summer in Georgia, wherever we are, and a door slams closed behind me. Then it's quiet for five minutes until somebody walks in. They pull the sack off my head and give me a good look. I squint under the bright fluorescent lights until my eyes adjust. I'm in a bare office with a few file cabinets. It's Amadi's lackey in front of me. He's wearing BDUs and a sidearm this time, standing straight as a flagpole glaring at me with mean eyes. What is this? Interrogation, I ask him. He looks over my head and nods at someone standing behind me that I didn't even know was there. I wait for him to shut the door and walk around in front of me. You are the deserter, Amadi says. He's about five and a half foot tall, I expect. Not imposing in any way. A little bit of a belly and a close-cropped beard. Thin in hair and heavy eyebrows. I guess that's me, I say. And I'm told you have intelligence to offer? I nod, getting ready to rehearse the script the senator gave me. That's right. Amadi takes a step closer. And why would you do that? I shrug. I don't believe in it anymore. What? The war. The conflict. Whatever you want to call it. Been in the shit for too long. I figure life's too short. Want to live it for me and me only. Still, I gotta get paid. Amadi laughs. So, you would sell us information? That's the idea. I lean forward as far as my binds allow. You see, I've been doing the black bag stuff a while now. I got the goods on just about everything. Roots, tactics, names, passwords, safe houses. I know what the top brass knows about you. Even you're conversing with the Russians. He shuts his trap at that before he looks away from me. He paces back and forth like I got him thinking, but he don't want to let on that he is. He nods at his lackey to leave, and after a second's hesitant, he goes and we're alone. Your superiors must be looking for you, Amadi says. Suppose they are. Why should I not feed you to them? Why should I not ransom you? He leans over me with a faint grin. Take your head? I peer into his dark eyes, smell the garlic on his breath, take in every single bristle on his chin. He's very much alive. Real, in the flesh, beaten heart alive. But it only takes a second for me to slip my binds. My wrists melt through him like they were made of spider webs. Then I spring up, grabbing Amadi by the back of the neck with one hand, while I bring the other up to his face. I press my index finger into his forehead like a magic trick. He's only startled for a split second before my finger solidifies, poking a permanent hole in his brain, and then it's just a blank stare. All the alive talk seems cheap now, because he ain't that no more. 
I let him crumple into a heap before I check his soiled pockets for a phone and then I'm slipping through the wall on the other side of the room. Mission accomplished. The end. So this is like, this is my favorite guy. Is it? Yeah, because he's the one who uh, he's the guy from the first story. Through that guy's neck and then solidified it or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. He can dematerialize his body. So basically. you know, I I was from the from the very beginning, I was wondering if this was a character that we've heard before or if we knew before, because we were talking kind of before the show how sometimes because I don't have your manuscripts, it's hard for me to kind of remember um, right. some of the details. But the name Daisy really stuck out to me because that was the girl that was in this other story, correct? He was correct. protecting her? Is that right? Yes, yes. They were both foster kids in the same home. So was this, was was that when they were young and this is like the future? Yeah, so the the first story, um, and just as an aside, you've seen all the anti-heroes uh, characters now. There's three of them. Okay, cool, cool. Um, at any rate, um, the first story was was meant to have taken place in like the 80s. And then right now we've kind of fast forwarded to the future. And so it's probably, you know, like modern day, like maybe, maybe early 2000s. I don't know. Something okay. Like that. Okay. Yeah. I was, um, so I have to ask, but just because I was kind of thrown off guard because we were kind of building and building the whole time. And then he was kind of taken with the bag over his head. Was, was that part of the plan to begin with him to be taken? Well, so I don't think he knew exactly how he was going to end up in front of Amadi, but he his goal was to like fake that he was like a deserter from you know the armed forces and was going to trade information for money, um, j- just just to get close to this guy and assassinate him. Basically, gotcha. Yeah, I really like that because you were building like like this guy had so much control, so much control, so much control, and then just for a second there he was vulnerable before you find out that oh never mind he's totally in control, right. So I thought that was kind of a, yeah. a cool little uh, character development thing you had going through there because it was it was like it was building the whole time and then it was just kind of oh shit and then you know come to realize yeah like this guy's got it oh man finger to the brain love it yeah well did did he do the brain of the other guy or was it no it was his throat it was his throat fantastic what a fantastic power. <laughs> This def I think it's a cool This power. definitely needs to be a book, man. Yeah, I so I I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to spoil my my grand plan. No, for don't. It. Don't. Well, definitely don't do it publicly. If you want to spoil it like offline, that's fine. Um but yeah, I uh I have a cool idea for conceptually what the whole like um uh, you know, I guess point of the story would be and then I have a really cool idea for a scene. But uh I don't I don't know if I want to spoil it. Yeah, any don't. Of it. But could you do me a favor and just kind of remind me and everybody else just of the three antiheroes? Like, we know this guy. Sure. So his power was he can, like, dematerialize and then yeah. kind of rematerialize. These are all like a comic comic book motif set of characters. Yeah. They're all supposed to be sort of like superhero-ish. So this guy, um, he sort of goes, his nickname as a kid was Copperhead because he's a redhead. Okay. And um, he's kind of carried that forward, and now he's sort of like a, a contractor um, overseas with, you know, like a military contractor. Sure, sure. So he's not military. He's just kind of hired in by the military to... He's He was in the military. He's out of the military now, and is hired as a contractor to do black bag stuff for the government. And he's... This sort of shady U.S. senator is like his handler, basically. Got it. 
Um, and he can, yeah, dematerialize his body and then rematerialize it at will. Such a cool power. Um, so can I ask, can I just ask a question before we, sure. before we go away from that? Like, would it be visible? Like, does his, like, if, if I, if I was in his presence and he, like, would I see his hand disappear? Um, I, I would th- think so. It's, I guess I've, yeah, I think you would. I mean, I, I guess I've only thought about it with regard to him, like, putting his body through things. And so in those scenarios, it's like you're melting through a surface. But um, if you were to just dematerialize it in midair, then I, in theory, sure. So, and he could do his whole body if he wants to. Like, he could, like, walk through a wall. Well, that that's the implication in this story. Okay. So early okay. on, he, he hadn't completely figured out how to control everything. But, like, by now, he sort of had some practice. Okay, okay. Um, the second character is basically a medical experiment gone wrong. Um, it was created to be a weapon of some type. Um, and so he doesn't really know anything about himself or his real name. <clears throat> and he, if you listen to the first story through manner of circumstance, adopts the name Rex. So he's only known by Rex. Ah, and he yes. has the ability to basically separate his body into like separate little like violent bursts of like energy. And so he can take out like a whole room of people just by like, he's almost like a human shotgun almost, you know, in in a sense. (laughs) Um, And then the third character is a, is an elderly woman who um, by, if you, if we ever get to the book, she'll take on the moniker of the, um, the widow and she can create um, like blasts of like plasma energy and basically create any type of like, kinetic or lethal plasma type energy bursts that she wants and and can take people out that way she she basically is working in a in a woman's shelter and she kind of like runs the place i love it there's a lot of cool powers here we need to see this book i think it'll be fun but like it's not a it's not one of those ideas that's like super captivating to me so it'd be one of those things where like if i had some time and no other more pressing ideas that I had more interest in that I would I would try to tackle sure, it. Sure. Well, maybe maybe like there will be a prompt one day and you'll get to like Antiheroes one point four and you're and something's just going to be like, oh, now it's captivating. You know what I mean? Now I know where I'm going. Maybe. Yeah. It, c- it could be. I mean, like I said, the overarching place where I want to get them, I think, would be very captivating, and I think it would be a a topic that would be extremely um, compelling. I think. For people to read, because I think that, you know, despite maybe how these characters arrive at this point, like I said, they're sort of anti-heroish, mm-hmm. that you would like totally be on board and like be rooting for them in the second book. Cool. So exciting. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. I love that character. I really do. Yeah, he's pretty cool. All right, cool. Well, I guess it's my turn. It is your turn. And, you know, before, well, read your title really quick, and then I'm going to make a comment. Okay, so my story this month is called This Present Darkness. Can, can, I, can I ask where you got the title from? So I was actually going to... This was going to be a, a topic for a future podcast, I think. Well, I don't want to steal your thunder. Usually, then. for these short stories, at, at least, um, I pull a title from something I say in the text. Okay. So it comes from, like, a line in the text. Like, most most of my... Most of my titles are either like very straightforward, like we talked earlier, like the bridge. You know what I mean? 
or sure. or they just there's like um a line that I write while I'm while I'm writing the story that kind of captivates me and I'm like oh that kind of it just kind of I don't know made sense to me so maybe we could talk about it after you hear the story and you can um let me know what you think okay cool you ready yep also I think it's the title of a Chimera album so that's just um I'm just going to throw it out there. Luckily, you can't copyright a title. Oh, I was going to say it's it, you can't write, but I was going to say it's a it's a title of a book. Also. Is it? Is it? So maybe it it, is, maybe yeah. I don't know. Maybe um, for the podcast sake today, it's called "This Present Darkness." If we think we're going to run into issues, then we might change it later. No, you won't. Your your title's good. You're fine. All right, so here we go. I probably would have ended up sleeping through the night in the living room, balled up on my recliner if the cold front wouldn't have moved in, turning what had been a light drizzle into an all-out thunderstorm. The wind redirected the raindrops to the open window beside me, the screen filtering and transforming them into a chilled mist before they met my face. I pulled my legs out from underneath me, stretching them out toward the center of the room, in hopes that I could convince some blood to circulate back to my legs. After most of the feeling had returned to my lower half, I moved to close the window, halting when I heard a loud bang from behind the house. I leaned out to investigate, but the rain had now turned to sleet, preventing me from keeping my eyes open for more than a couple seconds at a time. I ducked back in the house, and as my hands found the top of the window, I saw a couple of shadows dart from under the neighbor's fence. Nothing to worry about. A couple of raccoons must have gotten into the trash. I sighed, offering a silent plea to no one in particular that the mess would be on the other side of the fence in the morning, and closed the window a bit harder than I'd intended. My eyes darted to the landing at the top of the stairs, which served as a sort of common area for all the bedrooms in the house. I held my breath, listening for any evidence of disturbance from above, but the only thing I could hear was the steady rhythm of the storm beating down on the house. As the fog of sleep lifted from my mind, I realized that she hadn't come down to say goodnight. My eyes found darkness at the bottom of the door, where I expected to find a soft pink glow. Her globe light was always the last thing she turned off before bed and as of late, it was always set to pink. It gave off, quote-unquote, good vibes. I pulled my phone from my pocket to check the time. 1.45 a.m. All right, I guess it makes sense that the light was off, but I'll admit I was disappointed that she forgot about me. I don't quite remember when it started, but I do have vivid memories of her as a little girl emerging from her room and descending halfway down the stairs, where she would wait until my eyes found her. No words were ever exchanged. She would smile and put her hands together to form a makeshift pillow, then tilt her head to lie down on it. I'd nod at her, and she smiles even bigger before bounding back up the stairs. By the time I make it to her bedside, she'd have the covers pulled up tight to her chin and would still be wearing that infectious grin of hers. We'd exchange good nights, and I'd leave her with a kiss on the forehead. A moment after I closed the door behind me, she would turn out the light and drift off to sleep. On a night like tonight, where I'd fallen asleep on my chair, her usual play would be to nudge me awake, signal that it was bedtime, and wait for me to rise before running ahead, as not to deviate too far from tradition. If she happened to fall asleep first, I would look for the pink glow and sneak in to turn it off. As trivial as it sounds, this present darkness beneath her door didn't sit well with me, and anxiety began to build as I climbed the stairs to investigate. My chest began to tighten and my throat went dry in anticipation of the possibilities that lie behind that simple wooden panel. I turned the knob with a delicate hand and nudged it open until her bed came into view. 
I blinked two or three times, then squeezed my eyes shut for several moments in an attempt to reset my vision, to will the image I had expected into existence, but it was to no avail. Her bed was empty. I peered down the hallway at the bathroom in hopes that she was answering nature's midnight call, but the door was ajar and void of light. My eyes returned to the vacant bed and I stepped into the room. Her window was wide open. The wind had shifted again was now dumping rain down onto her bed, the edge of which was now soaked. She had always kept her bed pushed up against the window, and it wasn't until I was halfway across the queen-size mattress that I realized her screen was missing. I checked the top of the frame to see if it had been pushed up, but it was nowhere to be found. I leaned my head out the window to check the ground below, and that's when I saw the fallen ladder bisecting the stretch of lawn between the back of the house and the pool. Perhaps it hadn't been raccoons after all. Something didn't feel right. I know teenagers are known to rebel. I did my share back in the day, but this wasn't like her. This girl never got into trouble. Ever. A lump formed in the back of my throat that was impossible to swallow. I went for the cup of water she always kept on her bedside table and came up with an empty glass. What? No water either? The hell is going on here? Her sheets were thrown back, almost falling onto the floor. The bed was rustled more than usual, but I had just climbed over it. Her bottom dresser drawer had also been tossed through. It was hanging open. Old nightgowns I hadn't seen in years were now spilled across her floor. It was odd. The other drawers seemed to be untouched, so I thought it safe to rule out any foul play. Something on top of the dresser caught my eye. This space would normally be littered with hairbrushes, nail polish, and various bits of makeup on a normal day. These had all been pushed to the side, and sitting in the center of the clutter was an old jewelry box I recognized as once belonging to her grandmother. My mother had given it to her when she turned 13. I popped it open and was met by a musty floral smell with a heavy note of skunk. It was hard to put my emotions into words. Was I disappointed? Sure, but I couldn't pretend that I didn't sneak off to smoke a little pot when I was her age. Hell, I was younger than her when I started, and there weren't even any legal options to get it back then. Not to mention, if she was to root through my office at this very moment, she would find a small wooden box featuring a similar smell, albeit a bit less skunky, tucked in the back of the bottom desk drawer. One couldn't ignore the similarity in how we chose to store our provisions. Regardless, there was no question that this would be the basis for a serious conversation in the morning, once her mother was off to work. She would treat this more like a felony than a simple misdemeanor. I closed the box and a new thought entered my head. What if some dickhead teenage boy has turned my innocent angel onto drugs? Don't get me wrong. I know pot is welcomed equally by all genders, but I always felt that potheads could always detect other potheads, like radar for weed, and I never got that from any of her friends. To be fair, I didn't detect it in her either, so perhaps my skills are degrading with age. It's also possible that I was oblivious to it because I assumed them to be nothing but innocent little girls. Blinders worn by a father who refused to see his daughter as anyone but the little girl who can't go to sleep without receiving a kiss on her forehead. But wait. Her stash box had distracted me from the larger question at hand. Where was she? The rain hasn't let up, and she could be out there, stoned out of her mind with some boy who was just waiting for her inhibitions to drop just enough to... I snapped back into action. Of course. We had installed an app on all of our phones that allowed us to track each other via GPS. 
My wife was hesitant at first as she didn't want to infringe on our daughter's privacy, but the three of us agreed that it was to be used only for emergencies. I'll be damned if this use wasn't justified. Just as I had swiped to unlock my phone, I caught some movement in the back of the yard and stepped into the shadows at the head of the bed, where I could observe without being seen from below. Harper, my daughter yelled in a whisper. The ladder fell. Help me get it back up. Oh, thank God. Ashley Harper had been my daughter's best friend since the third grade. I had always found it odd that the girls used their last names to address each other. I mean, I do it with all of my friends and always have, but for some reason my mind never registered it as a feminine thing to do. My wife and her friends all use their first names or first and last names together, never the surname on its own. The sound of the ladder hitting the house brought me back to the present and I slipped out of the room and into the hall, closing the door behind me. I was more relieved that she was safe than I was mad at what she had done and decided I'd let her think she'd gotten away with it before bursting her bubble in the morning. I heard the two whispers that came through the window and felt the soft echoes of their footsteps as they crossed the room. There was a little rustling and then a drawer closed. I grinned at the thought of their self-perceived victory. Their whispers continued and since I now knew that they were safe, my eavesdropping began to feel borderline invasive. I started to sneak down the hall when my phone vibrated in my pocket. Notification? This late? My eyes bulged as I read the message on my screen. Brian's iPhone has joined your wireless network. Brian Harper, Ashley's twin brother. Well, I thought, that changes everything. Any desire I had to give the kids a false sense of security had dissipated with the latest development, and I returned my ear to my daughter's door. So I'll see you tomorrow? She countered with a laugh. Don't you mean today? There was an awkward pause, which I translated as the preface to a goodnight kiss. My heart fractured a bit in this moment as I realized that the day would come when I would no longer be the last person she wanted to see at night before she went to bed. At any rate, I could contemplate my role in my daughter's life later. I swung the door open and stood in the doorway. In my mind, I was perfectly backlit by the hallway light, illuminated in shadow like the poster of an early 80s slasher film, the killer looming over a young couple in the throes of passion. The two teenagers froze mid-kiss and pulled away from each other. Both pairs of eyes locked on me. I reveled in their expressions, although the surprise on my daughter's face was no match for the terror on Brian's. The end. And before you say anything, <laughs> I want to tell you something. Okay. 1,991 words. Yeah, it felt a little short. It did. It was short for uh, you yes. anyway. Okay. It, it, it's interesting you bring that up because I... Uh... I kind of wanted to make a concerted effort this year to actually try a genuine piece of flash fiction because I feel like I think we might be stretching the bounds of what flash fiction actually is. I don't know. I I tend to not even use the word flash fiction. I just tend to say short story. And then you got a little more room to function. Yeah, I suppose. I, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where I, I feel like we early on at least we were running with that uh, for sure thought that we were doing flash fiction, but and so I my goal this season is to at least try it once to try to do something really, really short and punchy. So you're talking like under a thousand? Under a thousand. I did one under a thousand once. It was like 800 some words last season, but I mean, I'm thinking like potentially even shorter than that. Oh, we'll okay. Because I, I had one. It was my, that the one where I was talking to my shit. Yeah. Yeah. That was under a thousand. How could I forget that one? <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So 
I mean, I'm guessing this wasn't written from personal experience. No, no, right? no, not at all. Um, I mean, there's a there's a little bit of personal stuff in there. Um, my, I, I, you know, my daughter has this very specific way that she lets me know she's going to bed, and it's very similar to the way that is depicted in the story. Like, she walks into the room, she literally does put her hands up next to her face, she doesn't say a word, and then she walks back. And then I'm expected to go back, say goodnight, kiss her on the forehead, and leave. <laughs> like, that, that, that happens. Like, that's real. And I think just recently... It the thought had entered my mind that like she's in high school, like this little ritual, while I would want it to go on forever and ever, is probably going to stop, and it makes me sad. So yeah, your days are numbered on yeah, that one. So it's like so to go back to the title, like this present darkness. When he was looking under a door, I think that darkness just like I think it was it's it was more than just like the physical darkness. It was just like he's in this place where he realizes that his baby girl might not be such a baby anymore. Right, yeah. So the present darkness was like more in his head. That's where it kind of was going with the title. Got it. Yeah. But all of the illegal drugs, like that that has not personal experience. That was fiction. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh um it was uh, it was an unexpected story because uh, the way it started out, I thought we were going to go into typical Matt territory. <laughs> um but we didn't. And so that's always refreshing for me. Um, and it was, it's, it's, it's interesting too, to get, um, sort of that parental perspective. Cause like you said, your, your daughter's, it makes, makes me feel old that she's going into high school. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw your kids, but it's like, um, you have to start thinking about letting them go. And like, I, I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum where my kids are just getting into school. Right. And, right. Um, like that's, you know, that's got its own sort of like you know, the aspect of like, you're starting to let go a little bit and it's really easy to overthink and overanalyze like every single way that they could get into trouble or mess up or do something dumb or right. make a life altering decision. And I'm like, I'm just on the front end of this. How am I, how am I going to do high school? But, well, I mean, it, it's weird because I remember when they were first going to school and I, like I was freaking out when they had to get on the bus for the first time because I never rode the bus to school. So that they were about oh, really? to have an experience that I never had that I had no relation to. So I was like terrified. I was like, they're getting on this strange bus with this strange woman who's just going to drive them and drop them off at this strange building. Like they got to be terrified. But they were cool. And like you just kind of, I don't know. It's all kind of the same thing. It's just, you know, they're older or whatever. It's just right, different yeah. stages of letting go. So I, I will say, yeah. however, like the first draft of the story, um, Brian, the, the latter fell. And Brian went with the letter. Oh, really? <laughs> but I, I decided it was too much. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that, that might have that might have been a little uh, cherry on top there. I don't. Oh, I, don't I mean, know. I mean, you don't have to it like. Literally, kill them was off, just but... a few different words. Like, it, I think it said something along the lines of, um, "The surprise on my daughter's face was no match for the terror on Brian's as the <laughs> as he lost balance <laughs> and the letter fell away from the like the window <laughs> or something." <laughs> oh, that would have been great. Um. No, no, it's uh like I said, it was a very unexpected story. Um, you you just have this this and maybe maybe it's me. I, I I'd be curious to get other listeners' um perspectives, but maybe I'm just expecting you to do something dark and sinister. Mm-hmm. Um, you all your stories a lot of times have these qualities where I I don't know where they're gonna go yet, which can be a good thing. I think yeah. you know if you're just looking to be purely entertained out of the blue kind of sure. a thing and you don't want to have any expectations. You just, 
you're like the way you let into it, it could have went in any direction. It could have been a comedy. It could have been horror. It could have been what you did. Like, right. Um, so, you know, you, you, you hold a a pretty good poker face, I I guess I should say. Actually, you know, when I first planned this story out, when I was like, just kind of thinking about it before I even started writing and it was just kind of like bouncing it around in my head. I, I kind of wanted the room kind of in disarray, almost like he felt she had been kidnapped. And then she just kind of showed back up. So it was it was more of like a it was it was more of like a taken kind of thing. You know what I mean? Where there should have been right. like genuine terror in his going through his mind, but um I just decided to pull back a little bit and make it more like real. A slice of life thing. Yeah, yeah, because like that that other stuff it, I mean it's I, I know that stuff like that happens but like i just kind of wanted like just kind of to tone it back a little bit i'm getting so soft for for a second yeah you are (laughs) um for a second uh there i thought you were maybe writing a sequel to your vampire story oh interesting interesting i can see that but uh it 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 didn't go there yeah because that was like a bedroom at night it sure was you know you know, window window could have been open, and I should get back to those vampires. <laughs> yeah, that spawned the whole uh, whole dark city thing. I think. Yeah, I think you know what it, we were talking earlier, and you were talking about how um, how reading that book that you were reading made you want to write better. And I think I went through a period where I was reading a lot of like literary fiction, so it was a whole lot of slice of life. So I'm not really in that like horror mindset right now. Oh, fair enough. Um but you just need the right prompt. That being said, I think maybe maybe it's time for me to go back and read a little horror cuz I haven't done it in a while. I don't know. We'll see. If anybody has any uh recommendations of uh recent or just good horror movies or horror books, suspense kind of things, let me know. I'd be interested. Um cool. Yeah, I mean, that's all I got. So I think that's all I've got. So we should what we should do is hold on i need to pull up the facebook group because i think i know which one won i just want to make sure that yeah i don't know what i'm gonna do with yeah, it yeah i don't know either because we're, we're we'll talk about this offline but like uh we'll just talk about it offline um yeah so i had texted you about a week ago and i i was thinking about the the prompt we did way back i think it was like episode 10 yeah episode 10 where we kind of did like our own version of like the boy who cried wolf and we just kind of did a modern retelling or whatever. And um, I thought it would be fun to kind of go back and do, a, you know, another modern retelling of like a classic tale. So we went out to the the Facebook group and we created a poll as we do. Um, if you're listening to this and you're not a member of that Facebook group, go join it because then you can make suggestions and vote on and have a say in what we write. And that's just facebook.com slash groups slash p written pod link is in the show notes but anyways we put that poll out there and um the winner is hansel and gretel and that was suggested by carter kip so thank you carter um so that is going to be the prompt for next month and let me tell you i have no idea what i'm gonna do with this yeah i, I mean i'm vaguely familiar with the story but i, <clears throat> I think i want to go back and <clears throat> excuse me re-read so i went it. out and read it today i'll actually um, just to re-familiarize myself because i i just don't know what i do with it i'll send you a link it's public domain so it was just out there it's not a long read yeah i and figured we we might i'll cut this out if, if you don't think it's a good idea but i had an idea 
uh, and it was kind of prompted by like what Utah did by sending us that audio clip. Because this story that we're about to do a modern retelling of is public domain, that means we can we can use it. So I was thinking it would be kind of fun if we had a listener read us the story, the original story before we did our modern telling. So what do you think about that? How long is the story? I, you know, it's it's probably like a couple of thousand words, I would say. I guess it would depend on how long it would take for them to read it, but... Right. So, I mean, it was just a thought. So, I'm just going to I'm just going to put this out there. If anybody is listening would be interested in performing um the original Hansel and Gretel to be played on the next episode, either hit me up in the Facebook group on Twitter, um get a hold of me and we can set something up. I'll have you record it and and we'll do it. If not, that's fine. We don't need to read it. I just thought it would be kind of a fun idea. Um so we'll see what happens. I don't know. I think that could be fun. Could be interesting. Yeah. So um, I think that's about it. Like, I, I got to get to work because, I, honestly, no idea what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, me either. So, again, hit that Facebook group up. Talk to me. Talk to us. I, I've decided that I've been kind of stagnant on social media. Like, 2020 is killing me. It really is. Um I need to be more out there and it would be great if everybody would talk just a little more. So let's let's try to make this like an active community so we can we can get that going. Um we're on Twitter at Pete Written Pod. Don't check it a whole lot, but you know, I, I do get the notifications and everything, so you can do there, or you can just email us at promptlywrittenpod at gmail.com. Ian, where's the best place for people to get a hold of you and see all your stuff? IanLewisFiction.com. And if me, I'm at Matt Chigarek on Twitter, or you go to MattChigarek.com for, for everything else. Uh, next episode's episode 28, and that's coming out on November 2nd, and you are going to get a modern retelling of Hansel and Gretel. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and tell your friends, too. Like, just let everybody know. Be like, these two guys, they're awesome. You should listen to them. It's once a month for an hour or so. Like, they tell good stories. It's fun. Tell everybody, spread the word. We'd really appreciate it. Um, That's all I got. Uh, See you next month. Yep, thanks for listening.